You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Feeling dandy. That's, Feeling well. That's great. Yeah. How about yourself? Pretty much the same. Drinking coffee out of the mirror mug? Indeed. It's gone now. Yeah. But um, it's a new bag of beans. Can I remember what it is? Nope. <laughs> I, too, just this past week, got a new bag of beans. Do you remember what they are? Cafe Vita? Oh, I've had Cafe Vita before. I like it a lot. It is a medium roast, so I've been slowly incorporating more Uh. medium. Now, here's the problem. Oh, okay. (laughs) This is interesting. (laughs) I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. I think the automatic thought about the different roast levels is that darker roast is stronger and therefore has more caffeine or something like that. Let me put it this way. I don't want to assume that that's true of everyone. In my pre-enlightened phase, that's what I thought. Yeah, I think it is. I thought like, oh, light roast Mm -hmm. is like, oh, medium, mild, and, you know, real nice and smooth and mild. I mean, yeah, like a light roast may have a profile that's a little more flavor-wise that way, but like, no, 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 a light roast, a lot more caffeine. A lot more caffeine, more acidic. Yeah, and so a medium roast then naturally, has more caffeine. A dark roast is actually going to run, probably, typically, run the lowest amount of caffeine between those things, right? Lowest amount of acidity in it as well. Yeah. I'm enjoying this medium roast, though, this caffeine. I can't remember exactly what particular roast it was, but it's good. So good, in fact, that on Monday, so as of this recording, we had a snow day Monday. Yeah. Um, We we just, like, oh, like, the roads were bad. It was that Monday that roads were terrible. It's like, we're just... Don't worry about coming into work. Take the day off. So I was just lounging about. I got up and had my normal early morning cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And then around 3 or 4 p.m., it was closer to 4. It's like, man, that was so good. I want to have another cup. Wow. Bad, bad idea. I see. Bad idea. I was going to say that's uncharacteristic. Yeah, uncharacteristic. Cause for a reason? Yeah, because normally any amount of caffeine past like 2 p.m. is like, ah, oh, like it won't, you know, do anything crazy, but I'll feel it. Well, I had this medium roast coffee Yeah. at 4 p.m. Mm. I did not sleep that night. Whoa. I, I almost kind of mean literally. Whoa. I maybe did literally sleep two hours. I just tossed and turned and stared at the ceiling literally almost all night. That's incredible. My body hurts so bad in the morning. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like on yeah. a night when you don't get enough mm-hmm. sleep and your yeah. body aches? It does. It oh my gosh. It hasn't repaired itself. It hasn't. Yeah. 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 And uh, I forget how we got on. Oh, we were talking about coffee and the problem with coffee. So listen, kids, adults, friends, neighbors, don't drink highly caffeinated beverages past 4 p.m. unless you want to be up all night. No, I'll drink it at 5. I'll drink it at 6. I think 6 is maybe my cutoff. 6 p.m.? But, two caveats. One, I am inclined to stay up later, and I'm inclined to sleep in later, just at least as long as my schedule allows it. And secondly, or B, whatever I started with (laughs) first or A, um, (laughs) it affects me less. I don't know why. It's just, I don't know, probably metabolic, probably probably genetic. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. You've become immune to the caffeine. I don't want to think about it like that. (laughs) Because then it sounds like I built You're a an addict. <laughs> <laughs> he needs more caffeine. Uh, Next thing you know, he's just injecting it straight into his veins. He's like, yeah! <laughs> Snorting caffeine crushed up on her with a credit card. <laughs> he just takes just, coffee beans and ah, just crushes them. Espresso. <laughs> <sighs> oh, man. Well, that has nothing to do with anything, really. Not even a little. <laughs> Other than the fact that I was discouraged at my lack of sleep when I mm. woke up the next morning and got out of bed and felt like crap and had to go into work. Dang. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. You know what else isn't great? Oh, <laughs> tell me what's not great. <laughs> there's there's no easy way around that. No, one of the things I semi-regularly deal with 
you know, pastorally in my pastoral capacity, mm, especially, mm. is the discouragement that people feel around Bible reading. Sure. You know, I mean, all kinds of guilt and just discouragement around that. Yeah. People feel, you know, like yeah. either they feel like they're not reading it enough. And then when they're reading it, they're not understanding it. And when they're understanding it, like I'm not applying it right. I mean, like you mm. just, you just, you just go down, you know, go down the list. Like yeah. people feel bad. They feel bad. Yeah. And they want to know, what am, am I, I doing what wrong? What am I doing wrong? What's going on here? You know? So, you know, like Christians start out a new year, for example. Like, we just, new year just kicked off. Pretty recent. You get that, that new year energy. It's well, free fuel, you know? Sure. Okay, well, for some of us. <laughs> 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 but, you know, you get you start off the year the best intentions of making this year the year that you get into a regular reading rhythm. And you're going to finally get through all the scripture. You're finally going to read through all the Bible. Hmm. Then... You hit Leviticus, yeah. you know, or you get into the more complicated oracles of like Ezekiel, Ooh. or you have a hard time following Paul's teachings in Second Thessalonians. You're like, oh. who's the man of lawlessness? Paul what is again. going on here? Paul. You know, come on. And you just throw your hands up in the air and it's like, it doesn't matter where I start. It doesn't matter if I start in Genesis. It doesn't matter if I start in <laughs> Matthew. Like and I just, you just, you throw your hands in the air and you simmer out. Right. Sure. Now here's the thing though. Okay. Like we really should be reading the whole breadth of scripture as Christians because Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God, and that all of it is profitable, 2 Timothy 3.16. Right. He says of the Old Testament that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, I mean, he's explicitly saying, hey, that Old Testament that you sometimes think was just written for the nation of Israel, nope, wrong. What? It's written for you. What? Yeah. And then we read in places like Deuteronomy 6, if we're reading that Old Testament, like Paul says, these words that I command you, God commands you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall mm. write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So clearly... <laughs> At least one takeaway from that is that God wants his people reading the entirety of his word and meditating on mm. it and talking about it and living it. All those things. Yeah, he wants us to do it. Additionally, another takeaway could be those frontlets. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm sorry, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, there's a group of really, I don't know how to say, like hyper-Orthodox Jews. Mm. Maybe it's the Hasidic community. <gasps> Maybe it's someone else. But like, they, they wear literally, a physical thing. Yeah, like a little, little mini Torah scroll on their face to do that. Yeah, I mean like. Okay, I don't think that's what God was getting at, but, I mean, more power to you. Mm. But Josiah. Yes, Ethan. Now, this ideal image you've laid out, it's just a source of guilt when I find myself <laughs> stuck or I find myself confused. How sad I am now. <laughs> and behold, he was greatly sad. It, it can kind of feel like I have to attain some divinely imparted enlightenment to understand when things are feeling kind of vague and foggy to actually be able to live it out, let alone understand mm -hmm. it on a basic level. And I must not have that divine enlightenment if I'm finding scripture too opaque. I'm frustrated. <laughs> I'm not, this is not all posturing because like sometimes, no, sometimes it's yeah. like totally makes sense. This is yeah, exactly like, super it's clear. like, it can feel like a groove you're in. You're like, yeah, it makes sense. And then sometimes you're like, I'm missing something fundamental. Yeah. Because yeah. this oh, is, yeah. I'm lost. Yeah. What yeah. do we do with it? Yeah. And that's a great question. And we are not alone in feeling that. That is not a unique phenomenon. And I do think exactly your point that we hear and read things like that. We read Paul saying it's all profitable. He gave it so that the Christian can be complete and ready for every good work. Hmm. And hear that, oh, the Old Testament was written for our instruction, you know, and somehow infer from that, oh, we can clearly and easily understand all of it. <laughs> that must be what that means, right? Yeah. And, you know, I have the Spirit of God in me, so that must mean that if I can't understand it, 
something is wrong with me. Huge you problem, know? yeah. Which, I mean, like, in the sense that, our okay, our minds are fallen. Like, our intellect is not infallible. Like, in that sense, yeah, of course. But I think we take it, like, the next level and be like, oh, like, there must be some great sin preventing me from yeah. understanding the script. Like, <laughs> maybe not. You know, because then that leads to us getting discouraged, don't understand the scriptures, and we just, you know, like, we give up or we throw our hands in the air, all those things. And here's the thing. We shouldn't be so fast at that, okay? Because here's what Peter says. This is in Scripture, okay? Let's make that clear. I'm not making this up. The exact reference, in case you want to go read it for yourself, is 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16. Here's what Peter says. He says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, <laughs> which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. I love this verse so much. Yeah, it's just so, isn't it just so great? <laughs> it really is. In its own way. It's like some things from Paul. Just, just Paul? Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe it's not just Paul either, but the sentiment definitely stands. <laughs> that's, that's right. You know, and, and this, I'm completely, you know, making this up. So, but I can just picture, can you know, Peter? He's a fisherman, blue-collar guy. Right. You know? Mm. Bad Greek. Like, you read his Greek, like, just dangling participles everywhere. Everywhere. Like, come on. And then here's Paul, you know? I mean, educated by Gamaliel, who was probably the most brilliant rabbi of his day. Wow. Probably the most zealous Pharisee. Like, I mean, yeah. educated in the traditions of, like, he had Roman citizenship, so, mm. I mean, he had all of that. Paul is brilliant. Different I mean, social class. Yeah, like, truly, not just, I think we think of Paul as like, oh, yeah, like, Paul, he's our guy. He's like... Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, but, like, in the course of human history, like, you'll read people say, like, oh, he's just one of the most brilliant men who ever lived. Just period. Just across, like, whether you agree with him or not, he's obviously amazing. So, I just picture Peter, like, reading his letters. Like, he's at, you know, the church. You know, like, he happens to be at the church in Rome or something when, when <laughs> the letter of Romans is written or something. And, he sends, and he's, like, reading it, like... Uh, what do you think he means here in like Romans Romans seven? And Peter's like, heck, if I know, man, like I don't know, this guy's hard to understand, you know. I just, I just picture him like gutting a fish, and he just like <laughs> looks up and looks back down, <laughs> continues gutting a fish. Oh, so that being said, part of what I'd like to do here, in the hope of encouraging us to healthy and and habitual Bible reading, is explain how the clarity of Scripture actually works. And then highlight some tools that can help us read the Bible faithfully and effectively understanding that. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Theologically, as Protestants, we've historically believed in what is called the perspicuity of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And that's just a fancy theological way of saying that the Scriptures are clear and can be understood. So we do believe that. We believe Scriptures do have clarity. And this goes back to—I'm trying to trace all this for us, but like the, your doctrine of God. Like, God is infallible, right? Like, so when he speaks, it's not like he speaks— muddy thoughts. Like, God's thoughts aren't muddy, right? Like, he has his own inherent clarity. So when he speaks, he speaks with clarity. The problem is on the receiving end, right? <laughs> so when we say that Scripture is clear, part of what we're getting at is that God speaks clearly, and we're not dealing with mystery texts. Okay, yeah, yeah, Like, they're yeah. not some, like, these obscure Gnostic passages that's like, oh, you need to be initiated mm -hmm. into the sacred rites in order mm -hmm. to, you know, understand Scripture. Right. And just so you know, like, this doctrine, as it was established and formulated by the Reformers, was done over against the claims, especially of medieval Rome, that the Scriptures were not clear and therefore could not be safely handled by the laity. Like, they didn't think, like, oh, like, you guys will mess this up, and, like, you'll end up 
doing some crazy stuff. So yeah. you can't do that. I think the context of this, I, is it is this a doctrine? A doctrine? Okay. Yeah, it, it, uh, it would fall under the doctrine of Scripture. Okay, yeah. I think the context that gives it a lot of clarity that kind of makes it make more sense when we mm-hmm. hear about where and why, Yeah, compared to when we say it now yeah. and how weirdly it can come across in, in yeah. terms of clarity. It's like, okay, m- let me explain. <laughs> yes, yeah. So like we say, oh, well, the Scriptures are clear. They have clarity. Yeah. And what people hear without any further elaboration is, oh, it's all equally clear throughout. It yeah. can all be easily understood. Right. And that's not what the reformers were saying. They were saying, hey, the scriptures are not Gnostic mystery texts. The people of God should be able to read them. And you, I mean, in the Bible itself, you see people reading scripture who are not of the priestly class or anything yeah. like that, like the uh, Bereans and Acts. Like they just had access to the scriptures. They went and read them. So Protestants have been very clear about what the clarity of scripture entails. So, I mean, you take, for example, this paragraph from the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says, all things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. Archaic language, but... I I think I caught most of it. (laughs) (laughs) So basically that which is essential for salvation is made clear to all. Yes. No enlightenment required, no codex, no divination. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like what they're saying is like, if you know how to read sentences, the things that you clearly need to know in order to believe for salvation, you can read there. Like that's, that's where they are. So in other words, the clarity of scripture is found first and foremost in the things that are necessary for salvation. So when Protestants say that everyone ought to be able to read the Bible for themselves because the Bible is clear, this is what we mean. Mm. And I... I think some people, when they say the Bible is clear, don't mean this because I don't know that they're sure what they mean. <laughs> like yeah. they, they don't even know what they mean. We do not mean, historically speaking, that every jot and tittle is so clear that everyone can understand it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. If you're new to the faith and we're under the impression that we all had the same point of view uh, based on the fact that we read the same scriptures, <sighs> take heart. Yeah. <laughs> Whole movements of church history are usually propelled by these little differences. Yes, it's really quite crazy. So when you come against those tough passages in the Bible and you're having a hard time making head, tails of them, you're in good company, (laughs) right? That's not a commentary on your faith or lack thereof. Right. No less an eminent theologian than John Calvin, for example, who wrote commentaries on every book in the New Testament, strangely enough, did not write one on Revelation. (laughs) Understandable, John. (laughs) I I wouldn't either. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, to be fair, in case anyone wants to quibble with me, we're still to this day not 100% sure why he didn't, whether it was because he was like, I don't want to bother with it or because he died first. We don't know. But point being, he didn't. Okay, he didn't. And uh, we do know that Luther, for example, didn't think that Revelation was very clear. He he later came around to it, but his first impressions of Revelation were, he was Mm. like, I don't see Christ in this, and uh, this is just just nonsense. Who is it that said? Chesterton. Yes. Who said, uh, although St. John the Evangelist saw many strange beasts in his (laughs) Revelation, he never saw one so strange as one of his own commentators. I... Think that's I love that. a yeah. delightful quote. I just I just always kind of keep that in the back of my mind. So anyway, so yeah, I mean, like Revelation is a book full of passages that are difficult to understand. That all being said, though, this highlights the importance of good teachers and pastors, right? So you can infer quite easily that this is precisely one of the reasons that God gave the church teachers and pastors, because some of the scripture requires the kind of attention and study and meditation that can only be done vocationally in a full-time capacity. Right. And again, I mean, you get that explicitly from passages like Ephesians four, where he says God gave the church 
apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, and teachers. We need those. Like The fact that he gave those to the church implies, oh, you need to be taught things, and you need people who are going to be able to come in here and say, oh, I know this passage isn't exactly clear, but let me think through it. Let me meditate on it. Let me pray. Let me study. And I can try to help explain what this most likely means, Yeah, help interpret it. So all that said, when it comes to our own Bible reading, here in summary— we need to remember that, one, what pertains to salvation and faith is clear. It's like, again, like, yeah, there will be lots of passages in the Gospels, in the Epistles, and throughout the Old Testament. You'll, you'll read it and be like, I get that. That makes sense, right? However, not all things are equally clear, and therefore we need good helps and teachers and pastors to come alongside us as we seek to pursue and understand and interpret Scripture. So here's the practical nuts and bolts of what I'm trying to get at here. If all that we've said is true, as you continue to read your Bible— you probably want to going to pick up a good study Bible or one-volume commentary to help you think through those more difficult passages. That's a first really easy practical step. And there are so many of these things out there, like, take your pick. Like, which one do you want? I personally recommend the ESV Study Bible. Like, it's excellent. Yeah. Lots of great helps. Pretty thorough. There's a note just on about everything you could have questions about. They're pretty good, too, about laying out different views. So, like, ah, oh, here's some different approaches that have been taken to such and such a difficult passage. So it's pretty good. Crossway did just release a brand new concise study Bible that I want to get my hands on, but I have no idea what it's like. But I've heard lots of great things about it from people I trust. So, you know, if you don't want the thick, big, honkin' tome, tome that is the ESV study Bible, you might get the concise study Bible. So that's one thing. If you want like a big one-volume commentary, so if you want something a little more in-depth than just a study Bible, Matthew Henry's one-volume commentary on Scripture is really awesome. It was written in the 17th century, so it's a little bit older. Notable. But there are lots of modern and updated versions with updated language. And he's just, he's so good. He's so good, you know? The thing about some of these more modern, more recent one-volume commentaries is Mm. the thing that I've noticed. I don't want to disparage all of them, but things I notice is, like, sometimes they really date themselves in a bad way. Really? Yeah. Like, I I don't want to get the specifics. I don't want to call anyone out. But, like, if you take, like, apocalyptic literature as an Uh example, it's, like, interesting. really, like, uh, really? I was like curious maybe? if maybe if, if what you were alluding to is like how some of their slants might ebb and flow with like popular yes. interpretations of the time or kind right. of fanatic interpretations of yes, the time. Yes, yes. And I do think you see just a little bit more of that. I mean, yeah. nothing crazy. Now, obviously, you're going to get that any commentary, but I feel like Matthew Henry, when I've gone through his commentary, it has a certain sort of timeless feel to it. Mm. And he just notices things that like in the modern day and age, we're not so trained to see. Yeah, interesting. Um, the connections he'll make in the Old Testament to the gospel, for example. So I recommend that. And then here's the other thing is don't be afraid to call your pastor or set up a time to talk through the kinds of things that you have questions about. Because uh, speaking from personal experience, like I truly love to do that kind of stuff with folks from our church, which is most of our listeners here. Yeah. I don't know. There might be the odd listener or two who doesn't attend Horizons, but I love doing that. And there, you really think about like that's part of a pastor's work is to do that kind of stuff. And you shouldn't feel ashamed or embarrassed about that, like as if that somehow makes you like a lesser Christian. Like that's mm. why God gave the church pastors and teachers exactly. is to be able to do that kind of stuff. And like I said, I get a kick out of it. Like, I truly, those are like my favorite appointments on my calendar. It's like when someone's kind of like, hey, I have a question about this passage. Can we come talk about it? I'm like, yes, we can do that. (laughs) That would be magnificent. So that's the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture and uh, just something to keep in mind. You know, I'm sure there are a number of us who are getting into new grooves of Bible reading in the new year here and running into difficult passages. So don't let that be a commentary when you feel like, yeah, get that. When you come across those passages and you feel confused or perplexed or flummoxed, mm-hmm. uh, don't let that be a commentary on your faith. Like, apparently, to some extent, even Peter was like, yeah, you know, there are things that are hard to understand in Paul. Very true. And 
if you got an apostle saying that about another apostle, I mean, what, does, what does that tell you? You know, mm. what does that tell you? <laughs> Gotta say it. So, hey, thanks as always for listening. If you have any questions on this or any other topic or any scripture passages you'd like us to try it. Ooh, look yeah. at. We've done that a number of times. Mm-hmm. You can email us, podcast at horizonschurch.net. You can interact with us on social media. And if you'd like, you can leave us an honest five-star review on that Apple podcast platform. <laughs> you know? Yes. Be nice and clear right there. Mm-hmm. Get a little clarity on yeah. why this podcast is, mm-hmm. why you listen, you know? What, what are we doing here? So thanks as always for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.